G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and and Mark Fine. We're back to wrap up the AFL trade period, which has just concluded for 2021. A total of 20 players shifting homes for next year. A clutch of draft picks swapped, current picks, future picks, uh, you name it. Uh, 10 days of football trading mayhem to be analysed and discussed. That's not all we're going to do, though, because we are going to stick with footy flashbacks right through this off-season period. And, of course, the world-famous rent-off. As I say, very good morning to my co-host, Mark Fine. How's your couple of weeks uh, off been, Finey? Well, you know, not a heck of a lot different than having... Much, not much to do. In fact, quite similar to the draft period, I'd call it. I think Shakespeare beat me to the punch. Much to do about nothing. Of course, we're still in lockdown here in Melbourne, so waiting for that to be lifted. And a draft period that I guess it was tongue-in-cheek when you talked about action over 10 days with only 20 players moving clubs. I, I found this one particularly sort of predictable and not a lot happening and maybe, just maybe, a sign of a draft that is supposed to go fairly deep, which is interesting given that we didn't have a lot of under-18 football going on here in Victoria. So it'll be interesting through the draft how clubs felt that they're fed. Well, certainly numbers down, just 20 players shifting. Last year there was 33 the year before, 29. The year before that, 44. So fewer than half we had just three years ago. Uh, 28 players in 2017, 34 in 2016. Why is that the case? Well, reduced list sizes for next year and uh, a lot of clubs sailing close to the breeze in terms of salary cap, of course, wages having taken a bit of a haircut in the wake of the pandemic. So that would explain it. Still some interesting moves to discuss and uh, some still biggish names changing home. We're going to talk about that right now. Well, let's start at the top of the alphabet. That is A, and that stands for Adelaide and the Crows. Uh, Not a lot happening with them, but the name they have got into the fold is considerable. Sydney's Jordan Dawson to join Adelaide. One big loss for them too, Jake Kelly, who has departed for Essendon and the Crows will take into the national draft picks four, 33, 75 and 80. What did you make of Adelaide's trade period, Finey? Well, you'd have to say mission accomplished, picking up Jordan Dawson and retaining their number four draft pick. Jordan Dawson, arguably the best player selected, uh, traded for during this period. So I think they've done extremely well. They couldn't do anything about Jay Kelly. He was a free agent. So they'd be well pleased with their work, Rowan. 
Well, they have got a, a clutch of uh, young players to develop further. I think they fielded nine debutants uh, last season, which was equal to most of any club. So didn't necessarily have to look for uh, too much uh, youngish talent, and they can still pick a few of them up at the draft table, including, of course, pick four. So should net them a pretty decent player. Kelly, uh, I think potentially an underestimated loss. Do you think they'll feel the uh, the weight of that next year? I imagine that they will, especially given that they've cut Daniel Talia loose. So a lot falling on the shoulders of Dode and uh, some young defenders like Young Butts as well. The one other thing with Adelaide, just quickly, they did make a play for the number one draft selection, but North Melbourne slammed the door shut on that. So Adelaide's uh, rebuild under Matthew Nix uh, proceeding uh, pretty much a steady ship there. Nothing too dramatic, but uh, as you said, hung on to their first pick in the draft and have picked up a very, very good player in Jordan Dawson. So a tick for Adelaide. Let's talk about Brisbane. Obviously, really disappointing finish to last season going out of the finals in straight sets. Uh, backup ruck. Stocks is what they have ended up with. Darcy Fort making his way to the Gabba from Geelong. That happened late in the piece on the final day of trading. Haven't lost anyone. And uh, they've got a couple of picks inside that top 20. Picks 14 and 18 at the national draft table. And uh, a range of picks beyond 40, 41, 54. And then three more they probably won't even getting around to use. But the ruck backup's interesting, Finey. You'd think that uh, Darcy Fort joining Oscar McInerney enables Joe Danaher to play as a permanent key forward. Yeah, they've certainly had to go out there and find somebody to back up the big O. So well done. Not that we know a heck of a lot about Darcy Fort as a senior AFL footballer, but he's got the dimensions, he's got the scope. They would have loved to pick up another forward that covers what will be Eric Hipwood's absence for the bulk of 2022, but those players just weren't around. And I don't know. I, I felt that they maybe should have made a play, a harder play for a, a Jonathan Segler, but that would have been a short-term fix. So I think they're pretty happy with the scope that Fort provides them. Well, we know they're uh, not short on senior talent and, uh, I, I like the idea of the backup ruck. I think uh, Danaher is a capable enough ruckman, but it's always a risk when you play a, uh, a big-ticket key forward in a pinch-hitting role in the ruck, just that risk of injury. And, of course, you're talking about someone who hasn't been the most durable player on the park for a number of years. So uh, better off leaving him close to goal. As you say, Fort, we haven't seen a lot of, but uh, was pretty highly rated by some influential people at Geelong. And uh, interesting that Geelong have let him go, actually, given the issues they've had in the ruck. So uh, good pick up for Brisbane. And as we said, a couple of picks inside the top 20 for the Lions. Let's move on. Well, Carlton Football Club, certainly one of the key players in this trade period and uh, have picked up another three senior experience players and arguably, I think the uh, blue chip uh, inclusion to any list out of this trade period, that, of course, is Adam Chera, who will become part of that Carlton midfield arriving from Fremantle. Another more unheralded, but uh, pretty handy 
midfield type too in Sydney's George Hewitt and a young emerging defender from the Western Bulldogs, Lewis Young. They have lost Sam Petrevsky-Seaton, who has gone over west to join West Coast. And they are left with three picks in the national draft, picks 25, 64, 82. So apart from pick 25, uh, you wouldn't think they'll be getting a lot out of that, but they have certainly loaded up on some senior talent over the last couple of years. Fanny, what have you made of the Blues trade period? Well, they shopped early and we knew that they were the likely destination for Adam Scherer and along with Jordan Dawson, the quality two players to come out of this trade period. So that midfield, I guess a little bit dependent on the well-being of Patrick Cripps, starts to really look ominous and should be the catalyst for them to finally press for a serious spot, seriously press for a spot in the finals. Hewitt actually backs that up. He also goes into the midfield. And I reckon that the role of a run-with player is highly underrated in the modern game and an effective run with player and Hewitt has been that can be a great pickup because we see so many players, really dominant figures in the game, win matches. I just have a look at recent premierships. Um, uh, Petrarca, of course, Dustin Martin, Bontempelli getting the dogs into the finals. So having a good run with player is very valuable. Lewis Young, good ruck backup and defensive backup as well. Well done, Carlton. They are almost not involved in the upcoming draft, but I think they'd be well pleased with their work. Yeah, I think they would too. I mean, there's a tendency just to rate highest in trade period. The clubs have picked up the most recognisable faces, which they certainly did. But I do like the inclusions. Um, They're all still pretty young. Um, uh, In fact, they're all still very young. And uh, Hewitt and Chera particularly, I like the balance that gives their midfield alongside Cripps and Walsh, so certainly making a play for the top eight next year. Are you with me with the value of a run with player, Rowan? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's a mystery to me why more clubs don't deploy, deploy them more frequently. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's a great pickup, and he doesn't only have to play as a run with player either. He's a, a, a decent enough ball getter in his own right. So, uh, yep, good trade period for the Blues. Plenty of trade talk surrounding Collingwood this year, and uh, rightly so. They have a couple of ins. Patrick Lipinski uh, coming across from the Western Bulldogs, as well as young key forward Nathan Kruger from Geelong, who's played just two AFL games. Uh, The losses, well, they've lost backup ruckman Max Lynch to Hawthorne. But the Pies also, as well as stockpiling players, stockpiled some picks this draft period, and they now, in fact, go into the national draft with eight draft picks. Uh, First of them is pick 27, but they've also got 36, 46, 48. So they've got four picks inside the first 50 and uh, stockpiling enough picks, of course, to be able to counter any bids for prized father-son selection, Nick Dacos. Uh, Busy trade period for the Pies, Friday. Yeah, as you say, much of it accounting work to guarantee that Nick Dacos, who is touted as or would have been the number one selection, uh, guaranteeing that he gets into black and white stripes. We don't know a lot about Kruger. We've got to say at the moment that he's a, a speculative selection. We do know a bit about Lipinski. We know he just missed out on a grand final team. 
which makes makes him pretty good stock for a club down the other end of the ladder in Collingwood. So not a bad pick up there. And I know that you've always had fun with Lipinski's name and not hard to have fun with Kruger's name. So maybe they'll provide us a little bit of humour when we do the ins and outs next season on on this very program. It's the Hollywood trade period for the Pies. They've got one player who should have been in MASH and uh, the other one who, of course, was uh, in a series of noted horror flicks. So good stuff by the Pies for the punsters for next year. All right, let's move on. Essendon next, and uh, a great pickup early in the piece of the Bombers, Jake Kelly coming across from Adelaide. He's going to be a valuable addition to that defence, of course. Made a late play for uh, disenchanted or, or want away uh, GWS small forward Bobby Hill, who I think would have been a great pickup for him. Unfortunately, didn't come off, and the Giants, uh, rightfully on their behalf, sticking to their guns. He's contracted for another year. But one of the quieter trade periods the Bombers have had for a number of years, finally. Um, at the draft table, we'll have pick 11. All their other picks are on the wrong side of 50. So not going to be getting a heap out of the draft. And, of course, that's a consequence of previously having given away a clutch of early picks for some established stars. Uh, we do know that last year's draft netted them some great youngsters. So a bit of a change attack for the Bombers, but uh, also a show of faith in how things are coming along under Ben Rutten. What do you make of their trade period? Yeah, I agree. I think um, it's keep the ship sailing in the same direction. Jake Kelly came to them free of charge because he's a free agent. So it's a great pickup to bolster a defence that needs some bolstering in the height department. We don't know what Hurley's future is, but it doesn't look great given that he didn't play a game last year. And Stewart had the sort of season that means really he should be a a backup player. He's, he would rather, you would rather see Kelly in the starting 22 with all due respect. G would have been good pick up Bobby Hill. Just what Essendon needed to cap off that forward line, I reckon. But it didn't happen, maybe in the years to come. Yeah, I agree. I was pretty excited about that, I have to say. I wonder if one uh, unintended or maybe even intended consequence of that interest might be to give Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody a bit of a a poke in the ribs because uh, certainly didn't have a great finish to last season and uh, need to needs to produce more consistently, I think. So um, Bombers now a couple of years have chased uh, players they haven't been able to land. Bobby Hill this year and Josh Dunkley from the Bulldogs last year. But like I said, the young players certainly delivered. So uh, the Bombers... Uh, looks like on the right track. Uh, interesting to see who they take at the draft with pick 11. We move on. Really interesting trade period for Fremantle. And finally, in my view, I reckon the Dockers have done as well in this uh, 10-day window as everyone. They've got two really good young players. Will Brody from Gold Coast, who we haven't really seen the best of yet. And Jordan Clark at Geelong, who... I really liked his introduction to AFL footy and a uh, bit of injury and form issues thereafter. But he can absolutely play. Of course, the loss is notable too, that of Adam Chera. But uh, they've lost one, they've picked up two, and they have ended up with three picks inside the top 20 in the draft. Pick six, eight, 
19. So I reckon the Dockers have absolutely nailed this trade period. I really like what they've picked up and uh, they've got plenty more potential to pick up at the draft. How did you see them? Yeah, I agree. I believe that there's plenty of top-end talent in this draft and they're going to have a sort of trump hands heading into it with the three picks that you've just mentioned. Jordan Clark really hit Geelong. I mean, you wonder why they didn't give him more of an opportunity. It's We'll talk about Geelong shortly, but I do question the fact that they had a good youngster and now he's headed back home to WA without really being exposed to enough football. I think it's a very good pickup. Will Brody, I'm less sure of because why? Gold Coast seemed very keen to hive him off and I think they had a pretty good look at him. So he'll need to prove himself as a senior AFL footballer before I give that one the big tick, but I certainly like their positioning in the draft. Of course, the other one I didn't mention there was Rory Lobb, who sought a trade back to GWS, but the Dockers have managed to hang on to him and I think that's a big win for them as well. I thought he played some really good football for them last season and is important up forward. So, uh, yep, I think we're both in agreement there. Big win for the Dockers this trade period. Well, always interesting to see what Geelong does during the trade and draft periods. And, uh, well, they certainly haven't lowered the age profile, have they, uh, by bringing in John Segler from Hawthorne. I think 31 now. Uh, and they've lost some young players as well. Nathan Kruger to Collingwood, Darcy Ford to Brisbane, Jordan Clark to Fremantle. Uh, six picks the Cats have at the National Draft. Three in about that top 30 range. Picks 22, 30 and 32. So uh, we talk about Geelong's uh, ruck situation a lot. And they've picked up an experienced one, but they've lost one at the same time. Interesting manoeuvres by the Cats. Finey, how did you see them? I mean, seriously, do they have information that the rest of the world isn't privy to? Are we going to be hit by a meteor in 2023? Have we only got one season of football left? Defiantly, they not only pick up a Ruckman wrong side of 30, not a bad pickup, but you see, Jonathan Segler is a really good backup Ruckman, as he showed in his time at Hawthorne, of course, he started at Collingwood, but really second fiddle to McAvoy. They still haven't worked out a number one ruckman. I, I don't know what they're playing at. And they trade out Darcy Fort, the younger man, Kruger, the younger forward, and most notably, as we just discussed, Jordan Clark. So, boy, are they sort of really riding this do-it-now wave to hopefully for them, Premiership Glory in 2022, because the other side of it will be a very bumpy trip down the hill. Uh, the the other plus for them, I should have mentioned there, of course, is uh, they will end up with Tyson Stengel as a delisted uh, free agent. Um, of course, Eddie Betts now working down there in a coaching role, and Stengel played with Betts at Adelaide. I watched Stengel during the Sandfall final series fighting, and he just looked a class above uh, most of the other players on the park. He has some serious talent. It's been the off-field stuff that's been an issue for him. But I reckon he shapes is a real exciting uh, pick-up for them. Do you agree? At his best, yes. Yep. But there is, of course, as you said, more to Tyson Stengel than what you necessarily get on the field. All right. That is the Cats. Uh, let's continue with the letter G. Ah! 
Well, Gold Coast, uh, we've sort of become used to seeing an exodus of talent uh, for leaving the Suns at the end of every season. Not the case now, which is probably a uh, pretty good result for them. And a really good in too, I think. Maybe or Chole being picked up from Richmond and offered a four-year deal. And he's got some serious talent, I think, and uh, certainly plenty of chance to show it now. Will Brody never quite played consistent footy for the Suns. He leaves and goes to Fremantle. And the Suns have also kept hold of pick three in the national draft. So uh, reasonably, well, very quiet by their usual standards this trade period, but maybe that's a sign of faith in the uh, talent they have now stockpiled on that list finding. Yeah, I think Trolls are a really good pickup for them because, of course, it gives them another tall target up forward, but it also provides them some back-up ruck relief. Hopefully Jordan Witts is right. If he is, that is a very good ruck combination and they'd be well-pleased getting him early and also, as you say, be well-pleased not being the cherry-picked club that they have been in the past. So it was sort of almost a win that they were less noticeable than they've been in previous years, just another AFL club, which is what they want to be. And I think the thing about Chol too, he's another one of those players who isn't uh, getting towards the end. So whilst they have continued to get players from other clubs, they've tended to be less of the uh, veteran category and more of that uh, senior experience, but still with plenty of years of AFL footy ahead of them. And maybe your child certainly fits into that category. So uh, unusually quiet for the Suns, but uh, I think they'll be pretty satisfied with the results. All right, uh, they are one of the latest two expansion clubs. Let's talk about the other one. GWS next, and uh, the Giants probably the uh, almost but not quite story of the trade period, certainly involved in lots of discussions, but uh, not a lot happened out of them, although they have lost Jeremy Finlayson, who has gone to Port Adelaide. I rate Finlayson. We can talk about his merits when we come to Port. Uh, The Giants, uh, no players coming in. Uh, They've got two picks in the top dozen or so at the draft, picks two and 13, and then another three post pick 50. Uh, They talked about uh, losing Bobby Hill, but hung on to him. I guess that's a win of sorts. They talked about Chad Wingard from Hawthorne. Uh, Right at the 11th hour, they talked about Luke Bruce, but both of them staying put as well. And uh, Rory Lobb uh, sought a trade back to his Uh, original AFL home, but that didn't come off either. So lots of speculation with the Giants finding for not much result. Yeah, I guess the slight disappointment for them was that the two Hawthorne players that you mentioned both personally said they didn't want to go and play for GWS. It wasn't a matter of the clubs not being able to come to an agreement. It was a matter that they didn't want to go there, which I guess um, if the old term destination club means anything, puts them down a few rungs as far as that is concerned. The loss of Finlayson wouldn't disturb them too much. Interestingly, they had no suitors for Stephen Canilio. His future very much at GWS, but not necessarily in the starting 22. So we'll see what and how that plays out, what it means for Canilio in the future, Rowan. Yeah, still a very much a, a list in transition, you'd say. They certainly showed plenty of resilience last year in the face of the 
a heap of injuries. So I uh, guess uh, they're going with what they had. Uh, can they hold that ground they made up uh, this year and play finals again? Well, the pressure will be on from a lot of potential replacements in the eight. So certainly would have liked to have bolstered their playing stocks more than they have, you'd think. All right, let's move on. Well, Hawthorne, finally, a bit like GWS, involved in a lot of talk for not necessarily much result. Coming into the fray will be Collingwood Ruckman Max Lynch. He's uh, been around the scene now for a while without playing a lot of footy. Uh, they have lost a couple of stalwarts. Tim O'Brien, um, a long-time development project who has departed for the Western Bulldogs. And as we discussed before, Ruckman Jonathan Segwa making his way to Geelong. The Hawks were keen to build up their uh, stock of draft picks for a, uh, a big shot at a rebuild finding, but couldn't quite land what they were looking for. Very public in uh, being prepared to offload the likes of uh, Wingard, Bruce, uh, Mitchell, O'Meara, Gunston, but uh, weren't any takers really for the ones that were prepared to go. And the ones they were takers for weren't prepared to go. They've still got uh, three picks within the top 25 in the national draft picks, five, 21, 24. So I wouldn't say it was a total disaster for them. Uh, they've done a bit of rebuilding already. I think Sam Mitchell's got a bit more to work with than people think. And uh, be interesting to see what they pick up at the draft, but uh, not many takers for the veterans finding. No, and I think Sam Mitchell's going to have to, uh, before he starts moving the magnets on the whiteboard, do a bit of talk therapy because when you publicly shop players, no matter whether or not you get the result, uh, the problem becomes that those players start to feel a little bit like second-class citizens and wonder exactly what sort of future they have at the club. They've virtually told those senior players, look, we're not going to be a premiership contender during your careers. And that's why we're willing to move you on. It would leave those plays in a quandary. And they're going to be have, have to be made of pretty stern stuff to put that behind them and be part of the common cause. So I think there's a fair bit of repair work that Sam Mitchell has to do after a what I could describe only as a boxed trading period. I wouldn't be quite that critical, but it's certainly going to be, uh, well, there'll be a lot of eyeballs on them anyway under new coach Sam Mitchell. And uh, like you say, it'd be interesting to see how the veterans suit up again after uh, not ending up with new clubs next year. All right, let's talk about the reigning premiers. Heady days for the Melbourne Football Club, of course, basking in the glow of that 13th AFL flag. Didn't have to do much, obviously, on the playing front, and they haven't. Although, I like their pickup, Luke Dunstan from St Kilda, who had a really good second half of 2021 and certainly provides some decent midfield backup. They've lost no one. And uh, they also picked up a relatively early pick from the Western Bulldogs, pick 17. Uh, their subsequent picks, 37, 49, 57, and 94. I doubt they'll be using pick 94 on anyone, but uh, didn't have to do much and just added a bit more midfield depth, finding as if they needed any. Yeah, I mean, it seemed as though Luke Dunstan was headed to either Gold Coast or Essendon, who I thought 
could have made really good use of a player like Luke Dunstan. But while Gold Coast dillied and Essendon dallied, Melbourne swooped. And more power to them because, as you say, he's a decent AFL footballer. He showed in glimpses in 2021 that he's a very good ball getter. I guess his usage isn't brilliant, but when you've got the likes of uh, Petrarca riding shotgun, you don't really need to test your disposal too much. A handball out to Petrarca and you're worth your weight in gold. So a pretty good pickup. He is a good pickup for them, I think. And uh, obviously, look, they didn't need to do much. So they've uh, added some depth. Uh, all parts of the ground ticking over beautifully for the Demons, as was underlined in the final series. And pick 17, well, their record with early draft picks in recent years has been phenomenal. So they'd be pretty confident of getting a long-term senior player with that pick 17 in the first round of the upcoming national draft. Like I said, great days for the Melbourne Demons. Uh, Let's move on. Let's talk about North Melbourne. They have lost a veteran in Robbie Tarrant who has departed for Richmond. But in a straight swap, they have picked up a very good key forward prospect in Richmond's Callum Coleman-Jones. Of course, North Melbourne pick number one in the national draft and uh, pretty short odds indeed that that will be used on star young South Australian Jason Horn francis uh, Also got pick 20, pick 42, pick 47. So can certainly add some young players to the mix. But uh, I really like Coleman Jones as a pickup for them, Finey. I think he'll be a really good player for them up forward. Yeah, I think that's a great pickup. And, of course, he had his problems kebab later a couple of years ago. But beyond that, he seems like a solid citizen and one that Richmond were, I guess, pretty loath to lose. But the wheels were in motion and North Melbourne made the play. They've really resisted all attempts to pry that number one selection out of their hands. And I mean, you've seen him, you've watched a bit of Sandful football, Horn Francis, they are describing as a genuine top draft pick. Of course, Nick Dacos along with him are ready to quantifiably add to the stocks of the bottom two teams or, you know, bottom sides towards the bottom of the ladder. And I think uh, North Melbourne have rightfully sort of um, put all their faith in what that young man will do for the club going forwards. Of course, the other player move discussed in regards to the ruse was young ruckman Tristan Zeri, who sought a trade to St Kilda. That one didn't come off, uh, so he is still part of the equation. Uh, people will watch how he performs next year and whether he tries to uh, up and leave again in 12 months' time. But, uh, yeah, Coleman Jones really liked that one. And uh, Robbie Tarrant, look, a really faithful servant of the club. But in terms of a side building for the future, uh, I think they'd rather at this stage have Coleman Jones and Tarrant. So uh, decent performance, I think, by North Melbourne and with number one pick in the draft to boot. All right, let's move on. Port Adelaide, another interesting trade study. Finey, Jeremy Finlayson coming into the fold for the power. I think he's a really good pickup for them. I've always liked him as a key forward. Thought he was undervalued a bit by GWS. The loss, though, is, to a lot of us, quite surprising. Peter Adams 
has departed for Sydney, looking for more opportunity in the prime ruck slot, of course, having to play second fiddle to Scott Wysette. Uh, Port Adelaide has picked 12 in the draft. All its other picks are after 60, so they won't be doing a lot with them. Uh, missed out on Jordan Dawson, who they were keen on. Uh, what surprises me with them, though, is uh, the failure to really add to that midfield depth. We talked a lot in September about how reliant they were on Travis Boak and Ollie Wines. Um, uh, there was talk about Jager O'Meara, but that didn't eventuate. Uh, they're continuing to put a lot of faith in those midfield warhorses. Finally, have they recruited for the right parts of the ground? You know, when O'Meara to Port Adelaide was being speculated, I thought, gee, that would be a good pickup for them. That would sort of be the extra quality midfielder that could take them into a grand final. It hasn't happened. And quite rightly, you point out that that means that at least through the draft, there's no, uh, at least through the trade period, there's no obvious improvement there. The other thing is, how did they lose out to Adelaide for Jordan Dawson's services? I would have thought that the young man desperate to come back home to the city of Adelaide could have been lured by Port Adelaide far more readily than by Adelaide, whose rebuild has to be measured in years where Port Adelaide's ready to strike. So I wonder what the machinations were there. And and finally, losing, and I'll explain this in a second, losing Adams to the swamp would be disappointing for them. What do I mean by Adams to the swamp? You know, I've got the TV on during trade period and the subtext, the teletext that runs underneath it. And when Channel 10 were reporting late moves, they translated Laddams to the swans as Adams to the swamp. So forever, that's going to be where I think that young Laddams has ended up in the swamp. Nice. Uh, they've got a, uh, a funny history of uh, blunders like that. Of course, who could forget Tim Webster's famous Nathan Buckley resigns or resigns for Collingwood many, many years ago. I wouldn't um, blame Channel 10. I think that comes with all channels. You know, the, the, the text that is written underneath the... Oh, that, that stuff. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Apologies to Channel 10 and to Tim Webster. Uh, <laughs> it does. You, never, you never need to apologise to Tim Rowan. All right. Uh, let's move on. Well, Richmond very unusually missed out on September action. Bit of a changing of the guard defensively for them with the retirements of David Asbury and Basha Hooley. That, of course, led them to pick up North Melbourne key defender and veteran Robbie Tarrant. So he goes to Punt Road. Uh, interestingly, though, have lost a couple more young prospects who were part of the future. You would have thought in tall prospects too, in Mabby Orchall and Callum Coleman-Jones. Uh, Richmond do have some early picks. In fact, they've got four picks in the first 30 in the draft. Picks 7, 15, 26 and 28. So uh, I think they've done okay here. I think Tarrant's a good pickup, certainly in the short term, and um, got four relatively early picks with which to build up that stockpile of senior talent, which they'll need to do having lost again now the likes of Coleman Jones and Chole, two ready-made senior players, Finey. Well, I guess Richmond's major disappointment, Rowan, will be losing two players of such similar profile in Callum Coleman Jones and Mabiel Chole, given that they're both forward ruckmen. And one, I think, would have been 
palatable, but losing both those young prospects, disappointing. And Nan Curvis, of course, the war horse, will need to be supported, hopefully, by a returning fit Ivan Soldo. So we wait to see. And the recruiting of Robbie Tarrant, it certainly fits the bill. They need backup support with no David Asprey in terms of height in the back line. He too has had injury worries in recent years. He's not young, but a very good footballer. And Richmond themselves will be an interesting look, how they attack season 2022 from outside the eight. We'll just see whether or not they play a lot of developing young players or whether they're having another serious crack with a fit Dustin Martin at the helm. Well, interesting times at Punt Road. Let's go on to our next club. St Kilda next, and uh, the Saints almost a non-player in this trade period, which might have surprised a lot of people given their mediocre returns out of the season. Uh, They've lost Luke Dunstan. His cards appeared to be marked uh, pretty early uh, this season by coach Brett Radden, despite a pretty good finish to 2021. He is off to Melbourne. No players acquired. They did make a play for North Ruckman Tristan Zeri, but couldn't do a deal there. Uh, They've only got one pick of real consequence in the national draft. That is pick nine. Four subsequent picks, but they are all post pick 60. So a real non-event this trade uh, period for your club, Finey. Are you disappointed by that? Uh, No, I'll explain why those picks north of 60 mean something, but I'm not surprised. They were heavily involved in the trade period the last two years. They did look to bolster ruck stocks with Tristan Zeri. They might have to wait 12 months on that one. But St Kilda has a strong hand with their academy players, and they are very hopeful that two of their players, Marcus Windhager and Mitch Owens, both quite highly rated will fall outside the top 20. Now, if they are within the top 20, St Kilda cannot match their selection. Unlike Jamari Hagen last year, it's actually called the Hagen rule, the AFL have said you can't match any academy players within the top 20 for Victorian clubs. But those two players are predicted to fall just outside the top 20 and St Kilda have manoeuvred the troops in terms of draft selections to have enough points to match both of those bids. So they are hoping to gain Windhager and Owens, both considered early draft, early round two selections to the list if everything goes all right on draft night. Oh, interesting list machinations for the Saints and uh, Brett Ratton also obviously putting plenty of faith in uh, some underperforming stars this year, hoping they can uh, set things right and get back in the top eight after, of course, being a finalist in 2020. All right, let's move north of the Murray River. Well, Sydney featuring pretty prominently in the headlines this trade period, but uh, not for the reasons they would have preferred, of course, losing um, a classy and carefully nurtured young player in Jordan Dawson who had a great year, finished third in their best and fairest. They didn't want to lose him and there was plenty of argy and bargy in the negotiations over his services with Adelaide. In the end, got backed into a corner, really. The threat was that uh, he would be acquired by the Crows via the pre-season draft. So the Swans really pushed to accept something they didn't want to. 
They did, however, close to deadline, pick up a pretty good ruck prospect in Port player, Peter Laddams. Uh, and he offers plenty of ruck backup for Tom Hickey. And, uh, well, Sam Naismith still recovering from a serious knee injury, but hopefully in time, uh, he's part of that ruck situation as well. So Laddams in, Dawson out for the Swans. Uh, two picks in the top 30 or around top 30, pick 16 and pick 31. Uh, you'd still think they've lost more than they've gained, though, I reckon, Finey. Do you agree? Yeah. What could they do? Jordan Dawson was uh, one away, if uh, I use the modern term, and he was going to walk in the draft, so uh, the pre-season draft. So there's not much they could do. Are they stockpiling Ruckman? What what on earth are they doing? Hickey, Naismith, Callum Sinclair, Amati, Hayden McLean, and Laddams. What's the idea there, Rowan? That's uh, that's a really good point. Well, Amati, I think, is more a, a forward prospect. Sinclair has played forward with effect, and Ditto McLean, actually. So... Maybe they see the future of certainly McLean and Amati more as key forwards than Ruckman. Naismith, uh, I think he's now done that knee three times, so maybe he's uh, pretty iffy. And Hickey, of course, I think he's 31 now. So um, I guess they're thinking longer term as well as the immediate term, but it's a good point. I'm certainly not short of big men up there. It'd be interesting to see how many of them can actually be fitted into the one team. All right, uh, two to go. Let's talk about them. West Coast next. Uh, the Eagles don't tend to be big players uh, this time of year. Of course, uh, did pick up Tim Kelly a couple of years back. Uh, picked up a, a decent one, though, I think this time in former blue Sam Petrovsky seaton He will certainly offer them uh, a little more zip coming off halfback. You'd think they haven't lost anyone. Of course, uh, an old warhorse in Josh Kennedy is going around again. Uh, he announced uh, in the last week. So that's a good one for the Eagles as well. Um, and three picks around that top 30 mark. Picks 10, 29 and 35, as well as another two late in the piece. So uh, might have liked to get another early selection, but uh, I like the addition of petrevsky Seaton who... You never felt really tapped fully his potential with the Blues finding. No, it was certainly a case of, I think, club and player both realising that they'd explored their relationship as far as it could go at Carlton. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him a freer, happier sort of player at the West Coast Eagles, quite right. And they they paid virtually nothing for him. So a handy pick-up there. We'll see whether or not it translates to on-field game time of any meaningful result there for the West Coast Eagles. I will say this, again, an ageing profile, particularly with, uh, as you pointed out, Kennedy going on. We'll just wait and see whether or not they do start to develop some younger players and we see a change to the team because by the end of season 2021, the age and the wariness of that team was obvious for all to see. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, um, a, a bit of that age happening in that defensive outfit too. So I like the idea of petrevsky Seaton as a, a running, rebounding halfback. I think he can really offer them something. So uh, decent work, I reckon, by the Eagles. Uh, all right, last cab off the rank. Let's do it. 
Well, the Western Bulldogs runners-up in season 2021. They'll still be disappointed about losing a grand final, of course. But, uh, well, very active in the trade period in various ways. They've brought in Tim O'Brien from the Hawks. Uh, you'd think almost certainly to play as a key defender and bolster a sometimes questionable defence. Uh, lost a bit of young talent. Patrick Lipinski off to Collingwood. That's a consequence of their amazing midfield depth. Lewis Young, uh, a young defender who uh, was pinch hitting in the ruck there for a while for the Doggies. He is off to Carlton. Uh, and they've got uh, six picks in the national draft, five of them uh, around the top 50. Picks 23, 43, 44, 45 and 52. Uh, also, a veteran in Mitch Wallace re-signing. Jordan Sweet, backup ruck, re-signing. And uh, enough picks there too to uh, have enough points to be able to pick up young Sam Darcy as a father-son recruit uh, come draft time. So interesting uh, machinations around the Bulldogs. Finally, what do you make of their trade period? Yeah, most of the optimism does surround Sam Darcy, doesn't it, Rowan? I mean, last year they pick up Jamara Hagen. And as I said, that door's been slammed shut on future academy prospects with that amount of talent. They'd be very much hoping that he continues to develop. I think they've got some reason to be optimistic there. And now they pick up clearly, according to all the experts, the number one key position player and forward in the upcoming draft in Luke Darcy's boy, Sam. And boy, has father and son been good for them. Picking up Tim O'Brien, yeah, helps a bit. Losing Lipinski and Young hurts a bit, but more around the edges than anything super meaningful. Darcy could be the long-term improvement there. All right. Uh, well, plenty of talent on the list. Obviously, you don't get to a grand final without it, so didn't necessarily need to do a whole heap, but uh, some scope there to pick up some more young talent come draft day. All right. That is all 18 clubs trade periods assessed. That's not the end of the show, though, because it's time to take a trip down memory lane. Fantastic footy flashbacks. Well, Fidey, I don't know what you've done in the post-AFL grand final period, but uh, I've watched a lot of other competitions. I've watched uh, several Sandful finals and the grand final. I watched several... Finals from the Waffle, uh, courtesy of Channel 7's uh, streaming service and uh, very interesting stuff too. And it made me get all sentimental about a long lost part of the football calendar and that is the Australian National Championships. What were they, you ask? Well, uh, going way, way back into the early part of the 20th century, it was an annual event. Uh, but I think the last one was in about 1918 until the late 1960s when the concept was revived. And that is the premiers of the VFL, the Waffle, the Sandful, and uh, a one premier team out of Tasmania's various competitions all played off in Adelaide over uh, three days for the uh, title of Australian national champion. And it was televised back uh, live on Channel 7, back into Melbourne lounge rooms. And it became, for a while, really popular. And I can remember as a, a little kid 
Finey, loving these end-of-season games between the premiers of the various state competitions. Do you remember watching them? I certainly do. And, uh, well, I won't steal any thunder, but uh, you'll be talking about a particular year that remains etched in my memory for certain reasons. Well, I'll tell you why. It is 1972. Uh, the VFL premiers were Carlton. The South Australian premiers were North Adelaide. The Western Australian premiers were East Perth, captain coached by none other than Big Mel Brown. And you may have seen the footage in the Saturday game. East Perth played Carlton. The Blues won easily, but uh, they didn't win the fight because Mel Brown went on a bit of a rampage and gave it to a cluster of Carlton players, including Trevor Keogh, memorably. Uh, Mal Brown going berserk, I think was the commentary. Uh, that, though, was superseded by, I still remember this game, a final between North Adelaide and Carlton played on the Monday uh, in front of a very parochial uh, crowd at Adelaide Oval. And it was a classic game of footy. And for South Australians, particularly parochial South Australians, a memorable result indeed. North Adelaide getting up and winning the national title over Carlton by a solitary point. There's not a heap of vision of it, but uh, we have dragged up what there is in audio terms for you to have a listen to some of the greats of the game from both Victoria and South Australia. Let's have a listen. Try to relieve the pressure as the ball comes back towards the half-back. A chance for Rob Rum. He's got it. It's taken by Sadler. It gets it the way of an open goal. North Adelaide are in front. It went straight across the ground. Racing for there is Dixon. But he's got plenty of opposition from Robram. Robram there gets it over to Marsh. He drops the mark. He didn't play it. Ball on the ground. In comes Robram now. He won't waste it. What's the way he turns? Kicks the ball. Throw himself at the ball. But it's uh, taken here by North Adelaide. Across it goes to Marsh. Marsh now towards the reposition and Weber's mark. Weber's taken the mark on the wing position. Half a minute to go, they tell me. Weber's got the ball in the wing position on the member stand side. What a boil over this is. Weber goes off the side of his boot. And the siren's gone. North Adelaide have won it. Won two premierships in a row with North Adelaide. And he's won the Australian Championship. Well done, Patterson. Well done, North Adelaide. Carlton, we're proud of your courageous effort. A very courageous effort from Carlton. But look at this, Louis. You can't believe your eyes. Well, it was certainly a great win by North Adelaide. Of course, they're $10,000 in front, too, which, make, which would make the boys very happy. But we must give full credit to North Adelaide. Had a great performance put up by number 10 of uh, North Adelaide. Barry Robram, he leads, played a great game. Gee, I mean, that is a magnificent win and a game taken very seriously. And when we talk about South Australians or great interstate players that never made it to the VFL or made it here and really only at the end of their careers, Barry Robert has to be at the top of the list, Rowan, doesn't he? Oh, he, he was an amazing player. I've talked a bit about, uh, I have on uh, tape the 1973 Sandford Grand Final between North Adelaide going for their third flag in a row and Glenelg, uh, an amazing game in which Graham Corns took a huge grab and kicked the winning goal for Glenelg. But Barry Robran in that game, just outstanding. And Bob Hammond, the late Bob Hammond for North Adelaide, also playing an incredible game. Uh, it was a fantastic 
competition in terms of standard, the Sandful back in those days, as was the Waffle. And uh, I love that concept. Uh, obviously redundant now of the national competition, but uh, a very memorable part of my childhood in October, which is why I thought of it. All right, what have you got for us? Well, that's hard to top, Rowan. I've, I've gone down the route of, given that we've just come out of trade period and we're heading towards the draft, trying to get fans a little bit excited about new prospects lining up for their club. And who was more exciting than the young man that North Melbourne unveiled in 1993? Surname, not unfamiliar to football followers because he had been preceded by a couple of other McAdams. But when Adrian McAdam hit the scene, it was as spectacular a start to a career as you could imagine. Uh, you know, of course, Rowan, being a, a, way, a, way, a sage football mind, exactly how powerful that beginning was. Amazing stuff. Uh, in his first three games, kicked a total of 23 goals. He would kick 68 goals for the season from just 17 games. Uh, a very short-lived uh, flame on the horizon, though. Just uh, one more full season for the Roos in 94, one game in 95, and uh, then it was all over. What a tragedy, because uh, the man just had a freakish capacity to kick goals. Um, so uh, tell us where we're going back to with him, Fawny. We go way back to round five, 1993 at the MCG, North Melbourne taking on Richmond. But there's a little bit of a treat here because before we actually embark on that debut, which netted seven goals and we've got all the Adrian McAdam highlights, his coach, Dennis Pagan, tells an amazing story about the precocious talent that is Adrian McAdam. It's actually not from the football field. It's relating to another sport. I'd never heard it before, but it's well worth listening to. So sit back. First of all, Dennis Pagan on Adrian McAdam and then the man himself telling the football world exactly how talented he was in on debut against the Tigers in 1993. Pretty amazing sort of sportsman, Adrian McAdam. And I'll tell you the story about uh, um, pre-season training. A couple of boys went down to a, a local hotel just for a drink after training pre-season. And, uh, it was a Friday night and um, there's a basketball ring. It's a, it's a hotel in St George's Road, North Fitzroy. There's a basketball ring up there as well. And a couple of guys were having a few uh, shots while they were just sitting around talking, that sort of stuff. And the most any, any North guy got in was, uh, was five. Um, and Adrian was sitting at his, uh, on his chair, he never got up to have a shot, and I was just about to leave, and I think Anthony Rock said, why don't you have a shot, Adrian, so here you go. And um, he threw uh, something like 10 straight in and didn't even hit the ring, and they couldn't believe it. And then Anthony said, well, look, how come you haven't even hit the ring? He said, you want me to hit the ring? So the next night he proceeded to, to roll around the ring and go in as well. So he's a pretty amazing sportsman, and, that, and that's a true story. So it's a free kick to McKenna. Adrian McAdam, oh, that's a better-looking kick. That is a beautiful kick. It's a goal. Looking for the free kick. Kick away by John Blakey, who we spoke of just a few moments ago. Bigashenko gets the front position. Back to Ramiro. Kick from a standing start up towards McAdam. And McAdam doesn't, uh, doesn't let him down. He's had two kicks so far for a goal and a bottle. Adrian McAdam. Can he keep his record clean? Score with each kick so far. This is his third kick. Will it be his second goal? It is. Can't take the mark. Rock on the end of a hand pass at right half forward. He's been busy. Rock. McCannum, good mark. 
50. 50 metres, that'll be another one. Might have kicked it anyway, so you'd have to say a silly infringement. Adrian McAdam, 2-1, he's now kicked 3-1. He was very mobile for his side, shepherd by Pyman, long way out from goal, 55 metres, kicks it goal, off the hands of the pack, McAdam goal, he kicks his fourth. Ramiro, turns on a threepenny bit, kicks it back inside 50, Carey, McAdam, can he get another goal? 15 metres out, goes at it, and gets it. Sets it up for a fantastic last quarter way, punch away from the pack. Here he is again, McAdam, Adrian McAdam from South Alice Springs. Goes at goal, oh. and he has threaded it right on the siren. Right on the siren. Allison, from the winner of the mark of the year here, took the grab on this ground a couple of seasons back. McAdam in front, sticky fingers, and marks. Well, gee, can he get seven? And his first game. What a debut if he kicks seven. Oh, great effort. There's Adrian McAdam for goal number seven from 50 metres. Oh, good kick. A great kick. Goal number seven. It really was incredible stuff. Uh, in fact, I was lucky enough to interview him after his sixth game. That was against Collingwood at Victoria Park, a game in which he kicked nine goals. Uh, was also racially abused. In fact, that ended up becoming quite a story. I remember interviewing him after the game with uh, Mark Hardy, who worked for the Sunday Herald Sun. I was on the Sunday Age, and uh, he was just so laid back about everything. But nine goals in a thumping of Collingwood at Victoria Park. And in fact, after six games, I said he kicked 23 goals after three games. By the end of six games, he had 38 goals. So after six games in his career, he was averaging more than six goals per game. It was just unbelievable stuff. It just sounds totally incomprehensible by today's goal-kicking standards. But uh, that is a great story told by Dennis Pagan. Uh, just freakish ability. I'm told he was an absolutely sensational cricketer as well in Alice Springs. So uh, an amazing all-round sportsman. Adrian McAdam. Good flashback, Fanny. Uh, I certainly love remembering his very short-lived but incredibly spectacular career. All right, that is footy flashbacks. We're going to keep that going right throughout the off-season, as we are, of course, going to keep this next segment going. I speak, of course, of this one. On Footyology, the rant of... Well, off-season rants, finally, we have a little more uh, creative licence, but uh, I'm staying on the football theme this week, given uh, that we've just had the very incredibly important and dramatic trade period. Uh, that's where I'm going. So could you count me in, please? Three, two, and bring back your best ranting, Roko. I'm pissed off with the end of the AFL trade period, finally. And by that, I mean I'm pissed off that it's all over. Sure, the last 10 days resulted in just 20 players moving homes and hours and hours of meaningless speculation on trade radio, but it was gripping drama, the sort of stuff that makes our great game what it is. Where else could you see endless debate about someone like Nathan Kruger, a guy who's played two games of AFL football and his impending move to Collingwood? By the time young Kruger ended up in black and white, he might as well have been the next Peter McKenna. Where else could you see weighty tomes written on the ramifications of the Magpies' pick swap with Gold Coast when not even a player featured? When they come to write the definitive history of our game, who'll be able to forget Collingwood's trading of a future second-round pick, a future third-round pick, 
and a future fourth round pick to Gold Coast in exchange for picks 22, 46, 58, 79 and a future fourth round pick. They are the selections which could see the arrival of the next Gary Ablett or Lee Matthews onto the AFL stage. Yes, so they could also see the arrival of a collection of duds who never get out of the VFL and disappear without trace. But what about the possibilities? Trade period, sorry, I meant the AFL Continental Tyres trade period, is surely the heartbeat of our game, Finey. This is where those intrepid young newsbreakers like Tom Brown shine brightest, bringing rabid supporters all the latest on whether the Magpies have accumulated enough points to offset a potential rival club bid for father-son prospect Nick Dacos. Look at how excited all the Tom Browns of the football media become when another deal is in the wind. They're in their element, finally freed of the need to report on actual games of football, freed of the drudgery of having to understand how games are won and why. And it's a time when they get to concentrate on the real heroes of our game. The player managers, of course, who broker the deals of fine players' new homes or longer contracts at their current ones. Fans don't want to hear about Dusty Martin, Christian Petrarca or Marcus Bontempelli. They want to read endless copy about what Paul Connors thinks about Club X's offer to one of his young clients. They're even making a documentary about player managers for TV. True. And I hope it runs in prime time, finally. Set up like one of those reality TV shows with a confessional, endless squabbling between the various participants and that dramatic music and a cut to another ad break just as another negotiation between manager and club list boss breaks down in a flood of tears. This is the true highlight of the AFL year, and it's an absolute travesty that it only runs for 10 days. It should be strung out over six months. Every weekend is scheduled for a new trade window and more trade action. We need to conduct it for a Premiership Cup to whichever club pulls off the best trade deals. And when it's all been decided, I want to see the list manager of the successful team hoisting aloft a clutch of paper contracts as all the player managers involved rush the dais to help him celebrate. Forget the schedule of AFL games. I reckon we could dispense with them over a couple of weeks in mid-October. They get in the way and they're too hard to monetize. I mean, how can you put sponsors props like a couple of giant rubber tyres sitting nailed to a desk your panellists are talking at if you've got players running around trying to kick footies? This is football at its best, Fidey. It deserves more time to shine. And this year is yet another example. I mean, people used to ask, where were you when the planes crashed into the Twin Towers on 9-11? But from now on, the question is far more likely to be, what were you doing when Darcy Fort and Geelong's draft pick 41 was traded to Brisbane in exchange for pick 50 in a future third-round selection? They're the sort of moments you never forget, Finey. That's real history, complete with a tacky corporate sponsorship. <laughs> you are so right, Rowan. I mean, I found myself going back to afl.com.au over the last four days to find out whether Tristan Zeri had made his way to St Kilda. I mean, can you, with all due respects to the young man who's played eight games in four seasons or 12 games in four seasons, could you imagine a bigger waste of time? Well, <laughs> well done. I just can't get over the breathlessness with how it's uh, all reported. Uh, I mean, so many of these young footy genos now, they seem so much more comfortable talking about this stuff than the footy. Uh, oh, well, 
uh, different strokes of different generations, I think it's fair to say. All right. I, I, I did like your reference to Paul Connors talking about play going to Club X. I sort of thought, yeah, we could have a deal between Club X and Sexyland, maybe. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, thinking back to was there was a Club X, wasn't there? Or oh, I can't remember Club Club. No, Club Ten it was, but uh, yeah, that's right. A, a player manager who's in the news now for other reasons. Um, but uh, we might uh, talk about that at a later date. All right. You're not, you're uh, not talking about Spargo number eight, are you? Yeah, that's right. Uh, or number nine, depending on which memorabilia you're looking at. Uh, <laughs> all right. I'm going to count you in, Fidey. Uh, three, two, one, rant. Goodbye, Irish jokes, because I am almost certain that in the future, the butt of all jokes when it comes to stupidity is going to be the town that I call home, Melbourne. And why do I say this? Because of the idiotic way that we are trying to make our way out of lockdown and through the tunnel and towards the light. What am I talking about? The incredible number of Melburnians that think that the ideal way to handle the current crisis of being the most lockdown city in the world is in fact not to follow the medical advice, not to follow the advice of the Premier of this state, but in fact to buck the trend and make sure that they don't get those jabs in the arms that see us out of lockdown and back to leading a normal lives. I mean, just have a look at these people, Rowan. They go to protests intentionally not wearing masks because that would be to follow the medical directive of course, when they get to the protest, they have to put on masks so they're not identifiable by the authorities. They protest, doing the things that you would, of course, do when trying to improve your civil liberties, like trashing a war memorial. That goes hand in hand, doesn't it? And then they go home and they take their masks off again with the obvious outcome of catching COVID-19. Why on earth this continues on in a cycle is almost unbelievable. I mean, if there were legitimate reasons for not getting your vaccination shot, I'd listen to them. But when the claims are that you are getting injected with a microchip, I mean, why do you need two shots for a microchip? Do you need two microchips? Or maybe Bill Gates has one and Bezos, Jeff Bezos puts in the other one. Surely you don't listen to those people. You don't listen to those people that aren't getting vaccinated because it claim because they claim that it inhibits their ability to get pregnant. I mean, how many of the blokes working on building sites were expecting to get pregnant anyhow? Then the other reasons are testicle enlargement, testicle diminishment. I mean, these guys obviously worry about the size of their balls more than they do than the state of play in their fair state of Victoria. No, Rowan, there's been no good reasons to not get vaccinated it's the way out of lockdown. It's the light at the end of the tunnel. But unfortunately, we're being dragged by the tail backwards by numerous idiots who, according to themselves, are just expressing their civil liberties, their right to halt the rest of our progress. And I give the final word not to somebody who lives in this country, but to a sportsman overseas who's currently being derided for being the biggest idiot in American sport. His name is Kyrie Irving. He's the 
point guard for the Brooklyn Nets, one of the star players for one of the star teams in the NBA. He won't be playing this season. And why won't he be playing? Because he refuses to get vaccinated, saying that he's doing his own research. It's become the stuff of stand-up comedy. What research are you doing, Kyrie? Nightly laboratory tests? Have you got a sample group? Have you got an A and B group? People are laughing at Kyrie Irving, who puts himself out of the NBA and the Brooklyn Nets out of contention in season 2022 because he won't get vaccinated. Oh, by the way, Rowan, did you know where Kyrie Irving was born? Melbourne. <laughs> uh, Melbourne. Where is Melbourne in the US? It's Florida or somewhere, isn't it? No, no. Melbourne, Australia. Oh, he really was born in Melbourne, Australia? Yeah, he's from here. Oh, wow. He was born okay. in the eastern suburbs. Well, he'd fit in pretty well then, wouldn't he? Uh, here, here, and... Uh, um, a serious rant by you, but uh, one I fully agree with. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, Victoria edging towards that 70% mark. I fully vaccinated, which we can start opening up again. 61.5% at the moment, fully vaccinated, slightly. Don't, still... don't you feel like we're creeping towards it, though? I mean, yeah, anyhow, yeah. We'll see, still, we'll see still how it goes still slightly behind the national average. So if you're listening to this and you're still not booked in, what the hell are you doing? Get your act together so we can all get outside and get on with our lives. So well said, Fidey. Uh, that is it for our first post-season episode of Footyology Podcast. Uh, we're going to uh, be coming to you once a week from now on. So stay tuned. Uh, plenty of footy news still. Uh, plenty of footy flashbacks, plenty of ranting and a few other surprises along the way. So stick with us right through the off-season. Thanks to your company, everyone. Hope your club had a decent trade period and you still got the draft to look forward to if they didn't. We'll catch you next week.